Let's take up our Bibles at this time and turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78, and while it is an independent psalm, there is much in God's providence to that, that taking of Psalm 78 after Psalm 77 that I've made reference this morning of, of really, in a sense, Psalm 77 laying out the scene of this is what we need to be doing, telling our children of the works and wonders of God, but it really becomes then an expansion of two verses. If you look at Psalm 77, same page, verses 11 and 12, where it says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And so this becomes really that expansion of those two verses here in Psalm 78. So with that instruction certainly of this is what we need to be sharing, but now how do we meditate on these things? What are we thinking about when we consider his wonders and his works? So let's hear of that in this masculine of Asaph, Psalm 78, hear now the word of the Lord. Give ear, O people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord in his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with a bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow out down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him. Rebelling against the Most High in the desert, they tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven. And he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Men ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust. Winged birds like the sand of the seas, he let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings. And they ate and they were well filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them. And he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. 
So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe, when he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan. He turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail, their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the firstfruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like a sheep, like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which is his, which his right-handed one. He drove out nations before them. He apportioned them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies. But turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath, and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his people to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their feasts Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Our Lord and Heavenly Fathers, we bow our hearts before your word. Lord, it brings a great deal of conviction to us. That, Lord, as we consider your works and wonders, Father, we recognize how little we speak of them, how often we forget them. Lord, how often we simply expect your wonders without expecting you to be holy. How we expect your work 
without needing to humble ourselves before you. So we pray that by your word, Father, not only will you call sinners to repentance and faith, but that you would humble us and bring us to repentance. And by way of your grace, then, bring us to a greater desire once more, not only to speak these things, but to live them out in thanksgiving, that, Lord, we would give testimony to the good shepherd, a shepherd greater than Moses and Aaron, a shepherd greater than David, to our good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, children of God called to be saints, as a child in school, the days that I really hated in class were review days. Maybe it's some of my frustration and then thankfulness maybe for our catechism book that it doesn't include review days, though some of them do. I couldn't stand those days because well, this is stuff we already know. We've already gone over this. Why are we taking this time? When do we get to the new stuff? When do we get to the novel stuff? The stuff that I couldn't wait to be in this class for. I was one of those kids who loved school and counted the days down to when we got to go back rather than when we'd get out. Wanting to learn. What's the next thing? Even for us at times, what's the next doctrine? What's the next bit of truth that we haven't heard before? Or that story or that teaching? But as a child, that review was key to retain what had already been learned. That by mastering those basics and making sure that they were in my mind and certainly, I pray, in my heart, knowing those basics came with them then the ability to advance in learning, to really master those things that had been taught. And so, congregation, our life in Christ demands that same kind of review. It's what we would typically call meditating on his word day and night. We have to keep thinking through these things. We have to keep wrestling with them. We have to keep learning them. For as we look back at what God has done for his glory and our salvation, we desire to be able to praise him fully for it. To have that praise be a part of what our lives are all about. To praise him for his wonders and works in real time now and into the future but we recognize our struggle. That on the one hand, there are those people who just, I already know this already, I don't need to learn anything more, I know the most basic thing. Well, there's foolishness in that too. But to continue puffing ourselves up as though there's always something new to know without mastering and and certainly giving ourselves fully to that which is most essential is the same kind of issue. Dr. Godfrey writes that this psalm is, quote, a meditation on the past and the redeeming faithfulness of God. That is something we should be thinking about all the time. It should be that which is working at us and how we operate in our day by day. And so it's a good thing to review that we would remember who our God is, that we would keep remembering what he has done. It's a good thing to review for our children, that as they hear from us the works and wonders of God, that the Spirit would work repentance and faith in our Savior's name. So this text then really becomes that kind of review, an encouragement to, to do that work, but also then to see how that plays out. That again, those verses in Psalm 77, 
How do we expand that and do this work of that kind of remembrance and pondering and meditation? And so we begin this review to remember his word unto salvation. We see that in the first eight verses. To remember his wonders unto salvation. That's in verses 9 through 39. And then to remember his works unto salvation in verses 40 to 72. But it starts by reviewing to remember his word unto salvation. Because without preaching there is no hearing. And with hearing comes the word of Christ. This is what we must give ourselves to. That if there is to be any faith and hope in believing, it comes by way of the Word of God. And so that call right away in the psalm is that. Give yourselves to it. Give yourself to the Word. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. There's an intentionality. Give of yourself. Give of yourself fully to that pursuit but directionally incline it to what? Not all the noise of the world, but incline it to the words of God's mouth. Be intentional in what you give your ear and your heart and your mind to. And by way of that spoken word, he gives what is best. I will open my mouth in a parable. Now we hear that word and instantly think Christ, who is making those divine realities very basic and easy to understand by way of common, ordinary circumstances and people. Here, literally, the word speaks more of mysteries and riddles, of that which cannot be understood unless his word is spoken into us and opens our eyes and changes our hearts and gives them a full embrace of these things. That which is understood only by the spiritual mind. And so this becomes a word that speaks to the people of Israel in that moment. It is a word that speaks to the church today. Because they couldn't hold on to the word of God or trust God despite his unending faithfulness. And that in our ears seems like a riddle. What do you mean they couldn't understand that? That, That's what we've heard. That's the meditation of Psalm 77. How, How could they be in these circumstances all through that redemptive history in the Old Testament and not understand that and not hold on to the Word? To not understand that God is faithful. To not understand that He will be just and that He will continue to provide for us. And then even as you speak those things, you say, well, But how often do I not hold on to that word? And how often do I react in ways that are not informed by the word? And and I get caught up in all of these events of life right now, but but I don't have a firm hold on that which is promised in Christ. I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about the future of my family or or about the future of my church or, or of my children. While his word has everything to say about all of those things. You see, we can't hold on to it either. And that would at times seem like a riddle. But that's why this remembrance is so key. That's why our speaking the things of the truth to each other and to our children is so valuably important. That even if I've heard the gospel before, I want to hear it from someone else. That when I listen to someone else's testimony, I'm still blown away by the grace of God that he's made me to know too. 
And it drives me back to that word and to the assurance that those other people have. And that's especially important when we say the full or really the rest of the story. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Because a lot of times I think that especially we as parents, and again, I pray that all of you have that opportunity to be that, and certainly by way of baptismal promises, you all have a responsibility to that kind of parenting of all the children in this church. But we have a tendency either to just speak the story, to speak the good things, but to never really share or take the time to say, you know what, this is how dad struggled when he was a kid. Or these are the ways that your mom wasn't always respectful to her parents. We don't always talk about the consequences of sin with our children as though we're protecting them from something or, or we don't want to seed ideas or we don't want to talk about those dark nights of the soul and how we've had to wrestle through them and deal through it, how we've had to lean upon the Lord. Those times where our lives weren't so fat as they are now. And we wondered, where is that next payment for Christian Ed going to come? Or that next water bill going to come from? And yet God provided. You see, we have to speak the whole. That we have to be able to speak to our children about our own brokenness and shortcomings. That we have to be honest, and certainly there's an understanding of age-appropriate editing. But nonetheless, I still need to be able to speak to my children of the reality that I've sinned. That I still sin that I fall short of the glory of God. And that's so important because otherwise, if we're not going to do that, we're certainly not going to lead them to Christ, but what are we going to do? We are going to provide for them a standard that they would never be able to uphold, that I would never be able to uphold in and of myself. And so our own confusion and our own doubts of coming to a scripture passage and looking at our kids and say, you know what, I have no idea what that means, but I'm going to check, and I'm going to ask, and I'm going to search. Why? Because we don't want to hide stuff from our kids. We don't want to hide things from our covenant children. Not the truth, not what they need to hear, not in what they need to be instructed in. Verse 4, we will not hide them from our children. We revise the history that we share with others. We highlight the good and place that center while downplaying or dismissing anything hard, anything uncomfortable, anything negative, anything sorrowful. It's no wonder that kids look at our faith and say it's not enough. It doesn't have an answer to the world. It doesn't have an answer to that coworker. It doesn't have an answer to that pride parade. It doesn't have an answer to the brokenness and the darkness of the world. Because they've never heard one. They've never been instructed in one. Why do we do that? Why would we revise the history when we know the sin and brokenness of our own hearts? But more the wonder and the power that he could change me. That there would be new life for me and a new heart and a new way and a new hope altogether. 
We don't hide our faults and temptations, our faults from our children, so we can have the opportunity to what? That when they are found in those places, in temptation, or they have fallen, to lead them to the Lord. To lead them to the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He's done. It all points there. To God's love for that chosen people that He shows in the most full and resplendent way in Jesus Christ. And that's what this psalm, now in that Old Testament context, bringing us to the point of David, unfolds of what he established. Verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children. That the Lord says what is best here, but to continue to teach and share with each other his gospel and his law. That's what's here. The testimony of Jacob is the grace of the gospel. The law is to be our thankful response to the wonders and works of Almighty God that He would be glorified and praised for the salvation He secures for us in Christ. And so that law and gospel then are to be that which we meditate on and that we think about and that we have conversations about. Like it can be a great frustration at times where you get together with a group of Christians and you can't talk law and gospel. You can't talk, how is the word operating in you? Oh, I don't want to say anything or or I'm going to embarrass myself or maybe I don't have anything to say. It's tragic because if we can't say it as brothers and sisters in Christ, there's no way that we're going to tuck our kids in and do that. There's no way we're having coffee conversation with our wife that way. It's not coming out. Is it there? Is it real? That we not only speak about it and meditate on it because it's my personal relationship, it's not yours. You live in community, we live in a church. We're not here for ourselves, at least not first. We speak of these things and share these things. Why? Verse 6, that the next generation might know them. Do I know it? Do we know it? Do we know what we're teaching? Do we know what we're insisting on? Are we insisting on the right things? Do we know? Children yet unborn. We're talking generational here. That is not just the people in this room, but about your kids and their kids and their kids. And so what's that call? Arise and tell them so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. It's the positive aspect of that teaching. But we ought not to neglect the use of, or rather the negative use of that law and gospel as well. Verse 8, and that they should not be like their fathers. It's a humbling thing, right, when we talk to our kids that way? It's that hard part as dads because, and moms, because we look at our kids and, and we're pouring out our hearts to them because I don't want you to go through the pain and sorrow that I went through. I, I don't want you to make the mistakes that I did but I'm not the Holy Spirit. And so they're going to still make those mistakes. 
and they're still going to fall, maybe into the same sins, maybe into others. But I need to warn them. I need to speak that. But I'm rebellious, and from a rebellious stock comes a rebellious seed, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. And so we need to take at the first. Again, this can't be a those who can't teach kind of moment. What are we about as fathers and mothers? What are we teaching? What are we speaking? What are we living? Are we reviewing these truths? Are we sharing them with our children so that they would know the wonders and works of God? But not just a bunch of facts that they can rattle off so that you can sleep at night. Do they know God? Do they see in you an example of someone who knows God and lives with God and walks with God and loves God? That in knowing these things, more that in His grace, He would use those conversations and the prayers that we continually offer for them to win the hearts of our children and draw them to Himself in grace, even as we're drawn closer and closer to the triune God in the same day by day in His glory. And so it's about making known salvation to them. It's about living the life of, of the joy of that salvation. And so that's going to lead, even as it does the psalmist Asaph here, to a couple of considerations, to reviewing to remember his wonders unto salvation. And so we review and remember, and I want to add this word to wonders, God's pointed wonders. That as you read, and especially the Old Testament, but certainly the New and all of those miracles that still happen there, it's pointing us to something. It's pointing us to the glory of God. It's pointing us to see and recognize the person of the Lord, whether in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, or in the New Testament, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so while we could say that his wonders are his works and his works are his wonders, again, what we see in the wonders is the splendor of the supernatural. It's what God is able to work for his glory, independent of any other force other than his word and spirit, and perhaps the use of the obedience of a chosen servant. That's it. And when we read those accounts in the Scriptures, and as we share them with our children, we should be blown away by them and give testimony that in being wholly changed by them, we would be excited to share the truth of them and those wonders with others. But we forget and it's interesting, both in these halves, and I know you're looking at the amount of text we have yet, and you're saying, um, Pastor, there's a lot going on here. But what we see in both accounts is really the same rubric, the same about six points that get made in both tellings in the reference. And so if you're taking notes, the first is this, we forget. Israel forgets. That's why they need to review. Look again at verse 9. The Ephraimites, armed with a bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. Hear it in verse 11. They forgot his works and the wonders he had shown them. Here are the children of Joseph, of the one thrown in the cistern, sold to Egypt, becomes second in command of all Egypt, preserves the Hebrews, his son, and sons and sons. 
amongst those that there should have been a remembrance of what God had done. And yet they become part for the whole in terms of the unfaithfulness of God's people in the Scriptures because they do not remember, because they do not care for the Ark of the Covenant, and later are passed over even as Joseph's offspring in promises made to Judah in advance of the line of Christ. Here are those that should have known. Here are part for the whole of those that should have known. But they forgot. And yet it serves as a reminder that he redeems anyway. That's the second part. We forget, he redeems. And so he will redeem them even in the use of wonders, miracles, and mighty acts. That if we were to see them, we would say to each other, we would never forget that. I mean, I I listened to that this morning, right? He walked them through the sea. How do you forget that? How do you forget the Red Sea open wide and you brought into the promise? How do we forget? God, how are you going to take care of me this month? Well, did you forget all of the years before that, that I've always done that? How do we forget? He performed wonders in Egypt. He cared for the Hebrew children by the midwives. He cared for Moses. He cared for them in the power of the Passover. He protected his people in cloud and fire. He set them apart of the wonder that was the Red Sea crossing, baptizing a people set apart to himself. And we say, can't you remember all the wonders of God? As we hear these things, how can we not be driven to the wonder of Jesus Christ, to all of his miracles, and more, the wonder of his bearing up under the weight of your sin and my sin and the sin of all of his chosen people to bring them to a salvation full and free in himself by his death and his righteousness. His is the greatest wonder of rising again, taking up his life again, that we would have abundant life now and eternal life always. And yet we forget. And we don't speak about it. And we don't live it out. And he redeems you anyway. And for those the Lord redeems, he also provides. As you continue, and we're not going to read all of those verses, but, but look at how God provided for his people through those wonders. He was powerfully and visibly present with them. They were shepherded and cared for, protected by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He provided water out of the midst of the rocks. Their clothes never wore out. He cared for them always. He would never stop doing that. All the while calling his people, just trust me and love me and serve me and follow me and thanks for the deliverance I provide. And we're like, man, that would be a sweet life. And it should be. But then four, we rebel. We don't always believe that God can do exceedingly, abundantly, immeasurably more than all that we ask or think. We're brought in the scriptures before the God of all creation. The God who works every wonder. There is no account of the wonder of God in any part of the scriptures that doesn't cry glory. It is his billboard throughout the law and gospel, throughout all of the scriptures, that I am God and I am to be worshipped. It is there on every page in every word. And instead of glorying in him, we doubt. 
In fact, it's worse. Look again at verse 17. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? Psalm 23 language. You can't do it. He struck the rocks, so water gushed out and streams overflowed. Wonder. Can he also give bread or provide food, meat? (laughs) Instead of praising God for his gifts, they complained about what he didn't give. You're a God of wonders, but you're not altogether wonderful. (laughs) But what did they remember? Oh, remember all those onions and leeks and all of that meat that we had in our pots in Egypt when we were slaves? Don't you remember? Wouldn't wouldn't some quail be better than this wonder bread? (laughs) They didn't believe. See, that's that's the rub. They, They didn't believe. They didn't trust his saving power. They didn't know that he was good, that he would always be wonderfully good. And yet, how often, how often do I, God, you have done all things for me and my salvation in your son. But how about a little more? How about a little more bread? How about more of what I want? We've been given living water, the bread of life that we would never hunger or thirst again. Promising that along with Christ, he will graciously give us all things. And I complain. We complain a lot. How often has he shown himself to be wonderful and we are unimpressed or unbelieving that he'll be able to do it again? And so he judges he judges. He disciplines. The wrath of God poured out on Israel while the meat was still between their teeth. As their earthly craving was satisfied, he brings spiritual judgment. Are we speaking that story to our Sunday school children? God provided manna from heaven. Do we recognize the curses that he brings too? Son, daughter, where are you looking for your satisfaction? Wife, husband, where is your help? Who is your hope? Do we in our family believe that he is Jehovah Jireh and will we praise him for everything that he provides? That it's enough. And yet even though this psalm brings us before that moment of God's wonder and his judgment brought by it, nothing changes. That's the hurt here. Nothing changes. In spite of this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they didn't believe. It's terrible. Consider those who will not praise the Lord for his wonders outside and inside of churches. Because for them there will be judgment. They seek to ignore it. They suppress that truth and unrighteousness. They want to put it off. But outside of the wonder of God being poured out in salvation, there isn't any. 
And yet there is grace again and again in this psalm because the sixth thing is that he saves. He brings them to the judgment of death, limiting their years so that death would be an end of their sinning. But we also pray an entrance into eternal life. And in bringing about the curse of death and in very real terms by way of his wonders, there are those that he brings back to himself. There was grace to be found in every wonder of God in his word. When he killed them, verse 34, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. And we stop here and we say, stop the psalm here. Let this be our heart and let it be that way always. But it wasn't true for all of them. There were those who were truly repentant while others simply wanted God to deliver them from the consequences of their sin. Still others were not convinced. Still others didn't think sin was really that much of a problem. And it showed in the life that they lived. Verse 37, their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenants. Yet he. It's the beauty of grace. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often. He didn't stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. We don't always know him or remember him, but he always knows and remembers us. And that, in the end, is what his wonder should bring us before again. He is God and we are not. That's what we need to continue to impress on that next generation. The God of wonders, beyond all majesty, you are holy, and we're not. And so what we need is his grace to be poured out in the wonders worked in his Son and Spirit. And so please, please with your children, don't just give lip service to his holiness or to his covenant to your receipt of the word, to the membership of the church that you're a part of, and then live as you please in mock humility or hypocritical living. No, lead your family in true repentance. Lead your children in the truth of your salvation as he wonderfully works in you to shape you and change you to live out the life he has provided in the water and blood and bread and blessing that is Christ. We review those wonders which points us to the God who saves and we review his works to see how that happens. And so we review then, and again we'll go through this side very quickly, but what we see reviewing and remembering are God's powerful works. But again, works unto a purpose. Those wonders make us behold the majesty and wonder of our God. His works do the same, but to a particular end, the salvation of his people. Yes, they point us to his power and glory, but clearly in every way, a glory of salvation delivering that people. And that should be for you the joy of reading God's word. Here is that love story. Tragic because God is always faithful and his bride isn't. But yet he keeps bringing her back. And there's still grace for her. 
And even though for a time they're not my people, I'm going to make them my people. And I'm going to give you every word from Genesis and Revelation to show you how I'm going to do that. Every work of his hands for the deliverance of his people is about grace, his power, his love, his mercy, and blessing. Because he knows what we are. He knows our frame. He remembers we're dust. The Lord saw the Hebrews in their affliction in Egypt and said what? The Lord heard and he knew. He knows us in our need. He empathizes with us, drawing closer in Christ and more in his spirit. He was with them and for them, seeking their deliverance. And nothing would stand in the way of that. Not then, not now. Because he will bring about salvation. But we forget that too. We forget whose work it is. We forget the one who makes that salvation not more than possible, but known for real. We forget that he's the God of all mercies and the God of all comforts. We forget that our salvation is not of our works, but only of his. And that is the heinousness of the fact that we continue in the sins of the old man. Have we really forgotten the grace and forgiveness of Christ? Have we truly forgotten what we were in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked? Have we forgotten what we were and what we are now made according to the work of Christ? (laughs) We've been brought out of sin and misery by the same and the powerful working of our Savior. So why do we live as though we forget, either in sin or self-righteousness? Because that's testing God. That's grieving his spirit. Verse 41, they tested God again and again and provoked the God of Israel, the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. We don't remember our new birthday. None of us are going to forget our real birthday. But we forget our life in Christ. Yet he redeems them anyway. It's this tremendous work of mercy and glorious grace. One that we need to remember because when we preach and when even we teach Old Testament, when we preach the Exodus account, what do we do? Look at the ten plagues. Look at the work of the Lord. What is that work for? Yes, it's the judgment of Egypt, but it is the salvation of Israel. He delivered his people out of Egypt by the work of bringing the ten plagues about. He redeemed his people through the blood of unblemished lambs, pointing us to the only way we may pass from death to life through the redemption of Jesus Christ in his blood and righteousness. There is that gospel. That's how he redeemed us in the precious blood of Jesus. Redeemed because of his love, his work, his imputed righteousness. Redeemed not to be servants and slaves, but as his sons and daughters. It's what he's provided for us. A rich salvation in every good and perfect gift. See it in verse 52. Then he led his people like a sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so they were not afraid. But the sea overwhelmed their enemies. His way was through the sea. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out the nations before them. He apportioned them a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we would be for the praise of his glorious grace. The praise of his work done for us in Jesus Christ. Promised to to bring us through the days of our sojourning to a better promised land. 
to the new heavens and new earth where we will be with him always and forever. Share that with your kids. Share that with this next generation. The work of the Lord for you and what is promised for you in grace. Do it because we rebel. Because our children are not the only ones in our houses that are rebellious. Well, not my kids. No, anyway. They're always rebellious. No, no, dad and mom are rebellious. We all are. It's to our shame. But it leads us where? To a continual need for him, for his mercy and grace, for his word and Holy Spirit. But hear it in the words that our texts use. I'm not going to read all of them. They tested, they rebelled, they did not keep his testimonies, they turned away, they acted treacherously. And so before we look at our lives and we try to whitewash them, are we going to deal with the realities of the sinfulness of our own sin? Our own rebellion, even ongoing, in understanding the wonders and the works of God. It's why he is plain that in his work he judges. It's why they were given over to the Lord's wrath and discipline. In fact, it's the hurt of reading verses 56 through 64. What a sorry state. And it gives the sense that unless the Lord would work, there is no hope or life for his people. And that's the point. That's what we need to speak that there is no hope for us in life and death except Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what we need to speak. Because that reality, even my own brokenness and my sorrow and my sin and my ongoing battle with that old nature becomes the backdrop for his great work because he saves And that's the joy of the wonder when we get to the end of our text and hear what? He rises up. Like a God who had been asleep, he awakes. He comes to work salvation. He judges the nations but keeps a remnant for himself. He chooses Judah, the line of Jesus Christ, even as he chooses Zion in the midst of his people to make his dwelling. He makes for himself a sanctuary not made with hands, a chosen people whom he promises to preserve forever. And that work was not done in the way that anyone in the world would expect. Instead, he takes a shepherd boy and anoints him to be king. And that's where the psalm ends. Here is David. Yes, he's shepherded them, he's guided them. But where's the rest? It's the rest of the Bible. But what about here? It points us to his sending a good shepherd to lead us in paths of righteousness and to lead us beside quiet waters to restore our souls in a glorious work of salvation. He's righteous to save, to shepherd, to guide us by his ongoing work in word and Holy Spirit. And so, yes, the story continues from there. 
And as we find ourselves in the progression of those six points, and sometimes, not really a cycle, but we're still going to find ourselves dealing and struggling through these things, we recognize that the story continues from here. Again, the psalm brings us to David. We see it by extension to Christ, but this story of this people is ours. And just as much as we see in that Old Testament history, periods of great righteousness and renewal, but also periods of, well, like Ahab. You see, he shows us his power and his wonders and works brought before us in the word and worked in us in the world all around us. And yet he's still providing for us. We rebel and there's a judgment to come for those who remain in that rebellion. Yet for those chosen by God and precious to him, the lambs that he will gather in his arms, he saves them. Not because of righteous works they've done, but according to his mercy, he saves them. And that's what we need to give testimony to. That as you're reviewing all of these things, that's where you land. He saves us not because of works, but because of his son, Jesus Christ alone. That's what we give testimony to. That's what we share with our children. That's what we remember in good times and in bad. This hope that is ours now and always. So be encouraged tonight that if it's not something you're teaching or speaking about, seek your children out in repentance. Apologize. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I haven't been faithful to you. I'm sorry I haven't shared Christ with you nearly or directly enough. I want you to pray for me, that I will be a dad, that I'll be a mom, who will lead you into truth, into all truth. And I want to live that. And I'm going to hold you accountable to that truth, because you're a child who's been given covenant promises. And I'm going to hold myself to the same, because I've embraced those by faith, and the grace that God has provided. And so I want to share with you all of it. And some of it I'm kind of ashamed of, but I've left that shame at the cross so that I can lead you there too. That as you encourage each other to review those wonders and works together, it will lead you to remembrance, but to thankful praise and a deeper, more thankful relationship. And so may it lead us together to Jesus. Amen. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth and wonder of your word, the different ways that you present it, the different ways that you teach it, how you expand upon it. And yet, Father, it still always, always, always drives us to Jesus. And so, Father, we long for our children to know these things. And as parents, we would love to be able to save our children. We can't. And yet, Lord, we are called to continue to impress this gospel upon them and to call them to repentance and faith. And to be not only an example to them, but teachers, Lord, of that truth. To lead them into the truth of repentance. To lead them in the truth of faith. To leave, live before them a life that has its hope, not found in the stuff and things of this world. But fully in Christ, who is seated at your right hand, who rules over us and intercedes for us now. And so, Father, help us. Help us to live out the calling as fathers and mothers that you give us that is beyond our comprehension and way beyond our doing in our own strength. And so, Father, would you be praised in the life of your people 
as we review these things to the glory of your name. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.